0: so after you had your first child and you'd made the decision not to vaccinate what was your experience with medical professionals, the, the, the doctor, the pediatrician, and then the nurses you, you encountered?
1: We had a doctor that was okay with, or a pediatrician that was okay with her not being vaccinated. Um, they encouraged us to do so, but they were okay with it. Um, whenever we would take her to the ER, uh, if she hit her head or you know anything as a toddler. And um, we would have to tell them she hasn't been vaccinated. And they were always like, what? It was just a shock. They they weren't mad. They were just, they just don't see that very much. Um, what family did it for me though, is I am so scared of tetanus. <laughs> and we, um, we just got a cat. We don't have the cat anymore. We got a cat a few weeks ago when he came into our house and I'm a very allergic, but I just realized I am so scared of her getting bitten or clawed or her falling on a nail or something, just anything. Oh my goodness. This fear is almost stronger than my fear of vaccines, you know? And and that's when I brought it to my pediatrician and they said, yeah, she's going to be fine if you vaccinate her. Like she's, she's three now, like you can do this and you can feel safe about it. And it was just such a relief just washed over me to not have to worry about tetanus um just oh man yeah
0: i can definitely relate to that because um i had i know a guy um years ago who caught tetanus and he was in hospital for about two or three months being fed through a tube uh, because he couldn't move his mouth because it was it was clamped shut by the rigors uh, brought on by tetanus convulsions. So I see why tetanus used to be called lockjaw in um, yeah. centuries ago. So, uh, so again, tetanus is something else that I've I've seen not in me personally, but in in someone else, and that was certainly that was certainly a um, a compelling experience that made me think, yeah. As, as it were, with all the other vaccines on offer, tetanus is definitely a good one to go for. Um, yeah. <laughs> starting to sound like I have a lot of friends who have all these dreadful experiences. <laughs> it's not really in the case. It's just, a, it's just a handful of examples. <laughs> but, um, yes. but, but yeah, when you see what this can do and you realise just how easy it is for something like tetanus to take hold as a mm-hmm. result of the Slightest accident, a uh, a rusty nail in the garden, or a, even a, a scratch or a bite from from an Very animal. Boring. Leaving aside rabies, uh, which has anyway. never been an issue in my country because we, we don't have rabies in Australia. Um, oh wow! But uh, yeah, one of the bonuses of being an island. But yeah, when you when you realise as a, as a parent just how easily this could happen. Mm-hmm. start to think what can I do to prevent this one of the first I mean that is the the natural parental instinct what can I do to protect my child and yes. that is a common fear for vaxxers and anti-vaxxers alike one of the few things we can actually agree on and Keeping yes <laughs> both sides can say well, the propaganda from your side plays upon that fear. Both sides can say that to each other, and and fair enough, sure, let's let's do that. The difference is that one side actually has facts and evidence and science to support its position right. and to justify right. saying vaccines are an appropriate response to this fear, and they are an appropriate means of safeguarding our children against these experiences Mm -hmm. that to me is is the critical point because we can swap anecdotes all day we can swap memes until the cows come home but when it all comes down what it all comes down to is who's got science and evidence on their side anecdotes are not evidence okay that that's that's one of the first things i say to anti-vaxxers anecdotes are not evidence you know, anecdotes are, are are stories which may or may not be true, especially unsubstantiated anecdotes. I can tell you an anecdote about a, a, a funny guy I, I knew who lived in Tasmania and his claim to fame was that he used to visit a 24-hour pub. that was the only place in, uh, in Tasmania that had a 24-hour licence. And while he was at that pub late at night, he experienced a pub fight in which someone was hit in the face with a dog. That's an anecdote. I haven't provided you with any evidence to substantiate that anecdote. It is nevertheless true that I'm I am i have never been to that pub, but it was in the it was in the newspapers fairly regularly. It was known for its brawls, and uh, it eventually lost its twenty four hour license. But that's an anecdote, okay? <laughs> that's just that's just a story, and in the absence of of evidence, that's all it is. It doesn't I
1: proven it. Any. I wrote in my post um, that kind of took off when I came out as a pro that if you had, if Susie had her um, child get a tetanus shot and then Susie's child broke her leg the next day and Susie wrote on Facebook, my child got the tetanus shot and broke her, or, and now she can't walk. And all these parents are sharing it and saying, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid to get the tetanus shot because I want my kid to be able to walk. And um, that's how it happens.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. There's the confusion of correlation with causation <laughs> and also two anecdotes are often told in a way that uh, deliberately omits critical information that would disprove the claim being made or lead people to be more sceptical about the claims. being. Made. You said that. And correlation, yeah. correlation and causation are important, obviously, in science and, and critical to the science of vaccination. I've sometimes had anti-vaxxers say to me, well, how do you know it's the vaccine? If correlation does not equal causation, how how do you know that the vaccine is actually effective, that the vaccine is preventing disease and not our good old fashioned natural immunity? Well, that's That's easy. (laughs) <laughs> that that's very easy because i can show the mechanism i can demonstrate the mechanism and i can show that this mechanism has been has been observed many many times in the lab in real life situations in hospitals in in medical centers at clinics i can show that it is not just a correlation, but that there is a mechanism involved, that the mechanism has been observed and that it has been confirmed repeatedly by studies, by science, and by people literally watching it happen. And that is the critical point.
1: It's not just that that we don't have
0: to assume causation, we can see it actually happening. And that is not something that you get with an anecdote. The problem is
1: that you keep saying, evidence and um, the science is behind it and all that. And of course that's true, but anti-vaxxers, a lot of them, and I and I love so many of them dearly, like a lot of them are my friends and um, a lot of them are not like this, but a lot of them are conspiracy theorists. So when they see this evidence, they're saying there's this global conspiracy uh, for us to depopulate the, or Bill Gates to depopulate the world and make a ton of money, and uh, feed the babies to Satan, and all these things, they don't believe the evidence, they believe the evidence is a scam, so you're never going to win with evidence, like, and evidence did help me, because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when you're approaching a conspiracy theorist, they are not going to care about the evidence.
0: No, that's true, because any evidence is variously dismissed or interpreted through the filter of the conspiracy theory, and then anything else that you present is simply folded around the conspiracy and reshaped in their minds in such a way that it's it's explained away by other aspects of, of the conspiracy theory. yeah, that is an ongoing problem for for people with a conspiratorial mindset. I'm always amused by the whole depopulation argument because the population of this planet has been rising consistently ever since we realised that washing our hands was a good idea and maybe we should start putting the fire under the food instead of on top of the food and maybe clean water doesn't just taste better it's better for us and and things like that and then po- the population just kept rising and rising and it just continued to rise <laughs> population pretty much started to explode the more vaccines we produced yeah. so this whole idea of vaccines being uh, a depopulation measure well if they are they're not very good at it because we just <laughs> have more and more humans on the planet uh, and if Bill Gates is trying to depopulate the earth with vaccines well surely he's got to realize that's not panning out too well for him now, this
1: it, also, is, it is true uh, yeah
0: it is true that that Bill Gates did mention population yeah. control within the context of vaccines in <clears throat> excuse me in a, in a speech that he gave years and years and years ago this was at a time when Gates and his foundation were starting to move into developing countries, particularly countries in Africa, and I think uh, Central America. Um, and he was funding medical improvements, freshwater initiatives, and of course, vaccination to improve um, the overall living standards and, and quality of life. And of course, um, the uh, the health of local populations And his argument was that a healthy population with adequate access to medical services, such as contraception and and vaccines, could could produce a stable population that would not have to keep growing. uh, You know, because children, parents can need to keep having kids because they need more of them because uh, their kids keep dying. And this yes. is the, the critical point that people overlook. These mm-hmm. are places where people tended to have a lot of kids, because that was your that was your your roulette wheel to make sure that you actually ended up with some after ten years. And it's exactly what the West was doing before we developed, you know, better sanitation methods and and medical science to help ex- expand our lifespan and also safeguard children in infancy. In the 19th century, for example, it was still common for people to have six, seven, eight kids because they knew they were going to lose maybe half of them by, you know, by the age of 10. Oh, my God. And if you read any books by Charles Dickens, you'll see this is very common, you know. Um, So that's what people did in those days, and particularly in agrarian societies where you're, your living is based on the land and raising cattle and that kind of thing. You do need to have large families because further down the track, children will be, will be needed to help run the farm and manage the business and also look after their parents in old age and, and blah, blah, blah. So manual labor being what it is, families have to produce a lot of their own manual labor, which often means having kids and making an investment in their kids and making sure those kids grow up to become productive members of society. And Gates' argument was that you can obviate the need for this by providing advantages and improvements in in the quality of living and, and quality of healthcare so that parents don't need to keep having so many kids and so that their kids will survive if they have two or three, those kids will survive and they won't have to have to worry about whether or not they need to have another five or or, or six. So this was the this is the context in, in which he's he's speaking, and again this was you know this was a phenomenon that was even very common to, to the West until we gained the improvements that have um, allowed us to improve infant mortality rates and child mortality rates. So again, th- there's a huge context here that's being completely ignored. And then finally, of course, the, the facts are the facts that. As, vaccines, as the number of vaccines has increased the global population has not fallen it's actually exploded because we're now actually living more, <laughs> longer yeah. more often than so um, again this this kind of argument although i can understand why people make it and i can under- i know the clips that they're referring to and i know the quotes they're referring to again A lot of context is missed out. And of course, the average person who shares these memes and these clips doesn't know that. They've only been presented with a tiny slice of what Gates is saying. The context has been omitted. They don't know that. They're taking it on faith that they are not being misled. Unfortunately, they are being misled. And that's the problem with with memes. Because memes tend to tap into Um, our own preconceptions or they play to our instinctive biases whether political or ideological we are inclined to agree with them without thinking and and that is the danger so let's talk about when you first started to have doubts about your anti-vax position what was the catalyst for that
1: Um, Last February, I had surgery for endometriosis and um, just being around um, the hospital and the staff and um, then being on um, kind of bed rest after that for a few days, I kind of, I felt myself starting to doubt and I can't remember what the catalyst was for that, but I just kind of, I just, kind of thought to myself, you know, this anti-vax community that I'm a part of is so extreme. I don't think I'm that extreme. Like I think at least one vaccine has saved a life. And furthermore, I think that public schools should have the right to mandate vaccines because you don't have to send your kid to the school. Um, and so I I did the unthinkable and I posted that, um, And I got so much backlash that I ended up in the ER with a panic attack um, because it is like this group think almost like a cult. And again, I want to reiterate um, to any anti-vaxxers that are listening. There are a lot of you that are not like this. So and no group can just be summed up as one, but it is like a cult. And if you think one thought, like the fact that I said one vaccine has saved one life, I lost a ton of friends over that. They said, how dare you? (laughs) And so that kind of actually, I was so mad. I was so horrified that I wasn't allowed to think my own thoughts that I just started distancing myself more and more and leaning more and more towards my Provax friends. Um, And they were very patient with me and they would talk to me um, and listen to my fears. And then I started reading actual science um, instead of the anti-vax doctor books and um, realizing, oh my gosh, I really do fear these diseases. um, And I really don't think anything bad is gonna happen to Charlotte. And man, am I actually an anti-vaxxer? I don't think I'm actually an anti-vaxxer. And I actually talked to some of my Provax friends and I said, well, I don't think I'm pro-vax because I still am not sure about this one vaccine. And they said, Heather, you're a pro-vax. Like if you if you believe in vaccines and you are vaccinating, you are pro-vax. And um, when I came out with it last week, they, they, the cult, the the actual people, not um, not the good ones, they said I had never been anti-vax. That I must have been undercover Provax the whole time because God forbid somebody actually changed their mind when presented with, um, evidence and science but I can guarantee you, I was anti-vax. I was terrified and now I'm not. So, yeah.
0: You had a significant personal experience with medical intervention that was hugely beneficial to you. Yes. Obvious reasons. And it was the kind of intervention that you could not have got elsewhere. Yes. You couldn't have turned to the anti-vax community and said, I have endometriosis. Uh, I have a significant problem right now. What do I do with a, uh, about this? Do I cut up some raw onions and rub them on my feet? Or yes. do I drink, you know, some sort of herbal concoction? Um, you obviously realized that wasn't the place to turn.
1: I- did turn to them though, at first, and they did tell me not to get the surgery. They actually told me to take um, lots of different supplements. And um, I don't even remember, God only knows, but they told me that taking the surgery was the lazy way out and that they were ashamed of me. And so I went into surgery crying, (laughs) feeling so guilty that we spent the money on the surgery, that I'm that I'm risking my life on the surgery when I could just eat better and it would go away. I had so much guilt, but I did it and they were um, not it.
0: At- I mean, I have to say nothing really surprises me about the anti-vax community anymore, but I've got to say telling someone with endometriosis not to have the surgery, but just to tank up on supplements. That is utterly horrifying to me because it is literally life threatening. That that is just so that is just so off the wall. I can't even I <laughs> oh, oh, I can barely get my head around it. The horror of casually telling someone in that position, don't get the surgery. Oh, that is just inconceivably awful. Wow. That that that's quite Oh, I don't even know what to do with that. That is just beyond belief. Um, okay, so right, so so that was their advice, and you decided it wasn't wasn't great advice, probably. Um, well, what was it then that convinced you that supplements weren't going to be sufficient? What was it that made you think uh, I should probably get this seen to by people who are professionally qualified to handle it?
1: I. Um have a really caring OBGYN. and i broke down in tears in her office and told her about what these people were saying and she hugged me and reassured me this is not your fault you cannot eat your way out of this you need the surgery you are in the er um, every other week with severe pain you are bleeding so much you have to have the surgery and you do not need to feel guilty and i just bawled my eyes out and that, honestly, and I, I think that actually was a pivotal moment for me to start trusting the medical community as opposed to the guilt-inducing anti-vax people that I just spoke with. That was the moment. Now, that, that is
0: really powerful and and also very interesting because it runs counter to the anti-vax narrative that doctors are just part of the big pharma conspiracy, they don't care about you or your health, they only care about lining their their wallets with your money you know, they're all impersonal and all they want to do is keep you on as a patient and keep sucking the money out of you and they don't care about you like your anti-vax community does etc cetera, etc cetera. you actually had the complete opposite of that experience you had an OB i, OB, OB, <laughs> OB. I always I always mix that up. Uh, You had a very sensitive and caring medical professional who took the time to listen to your fears, to discuss them frankly and sincerely, and someone who made a personal connection with you and showed you that they cared. Now this is the exact opposite of what we are told doctors do, which is of course not entirely surprising coming from anti-vaxxers, it is true, and there's there's no doubt, and it's well-documented, it is true that there have been many cases when doctors have been dismissive of patients, particularly of female patients, and they have not taken the time to listen or they've been insensitive or they've, they've brushed aside concerns for whatever reason. And it is true that the medical profession has had a bit of a spotty history about being sensitive to to patients' concerns um, and maybe being too impatient with patients and just saying, why don't you just do this? I'm telling you it's the right thing to do. Just just listen to me. There's no doubt that this happens. However, it is not reflective of the industry or of health professionals as a whole. Mm -hmm. These are largely isolated incidents, even more so now with modern medical training and the greater need for um, a dialogue and some kind of relationship between, between patient and doctor in, in the context of personal care um, and ongoing concerns about the patient's health and a greater need for dialogue between the two sides. So yes, although it does happen, it is not the norm and people can't generalize anymore and say, well, doctors are just not, simply not going to listen to you. Doctors will try and override you. Doctors don't care you actually had someone who cared very deeply, who was able to lay out the facts before you, remind you, hey, this is an ongoing problem. You keep coming back. This is not gonna change unless we do something significant. That is a really that is a really beautiful experience that you had. And the yeah, anti-vaxxers can't take that away from you because it really happened, it's verifiable. And it led you to what was potentially a life-saving procedure. And and that is really amazing. Um, And thank you so much for sharing that because that is something you weren't going to get from the anti-vax community. And your doctor didn't guilt you into this either and didn't blame you and didn't try to use emotional leverage on you. Your doctor came from the standpoint, I care about you. I care about your health. I'm concerned that you keep coming back with the same problem. Let me help you. And that is just such a wonderful attitude. And what a difference it made to you.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's, yeah, that, saying it out loud, that was the moment that everything changed for me.
0: So after that, then, you concluded that medical science was far more reliable than you'd been led to believe. How did that factor into your changing views on vaccines? I mean, endometriosis and vaccines, there's a fair gulf between them, although I can see that they are related on the continuum of, of medical science. What was it then about that experience that led you to re-examine vaccines in the light of your new knowledge and your your, your greater trust of the medical profession
1: so because i was able to trust that doctor um against my anti-vax community i started to re-examine my view on um, dr paul offit and i'm um, and a few other pro-vax doctors and so when i started reading their material um i can't remember the book i think it's vaccines in your child by dr paul offit and I was blown away the way he explained how aluminum works in vaccines and how it's eliminated. I think half of it is eliminated from your body the next day. Um, and polysorbate 80 and all these things that I had been terrified of. I started getting mad reading what he was writing because it made so much sense. And I was just like, I was told this guy is evil. He's just this kind doctor, just like most doctors. Like you said, there are the, the few that have ill will, but this is a kind guy. I believe what he's saying. And I was I was just kind of mad at myself for living in fear and just believing in people that doctors are are bad or, or you know want us to get hurt and take our money and things like that. So yeah, that. One thing led to another, and his words really, really changed my view on vaccines.
0: Dr. Offit is uh, definitely a hero in the pro-vax community, and um, unsurprisingly, he, he takes a huge amount of abuse from the anti-vax community, and I've, you know, I've seen all the scurrilous things that have been written about him, and I've seen some videos where he's been Publicly harassed by uh, by anti-vaxxers trying to get a rise out of him, and uh, Doctor Richard Pan, for example, is is another one who's who cops a lot of the the same kind of abuse. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Dorit Rice, uh, Dorit Rubenstein Rice, is oh. is another one. Um, now, I've actually uh, interviewed her, and uh, I don't know if you've, you've spoken to her, but she's actually fantastic to talk to, and she has an encyclopedic knowledge of the law particularly in, in the context of vaccine mandates and she has a very good overall uh general knowledge of vaccine science as well so she's definitely someone i would I would recommend talking to you if you haven't already and uh i've just got so much admiration for these professionals who take time out from their incredibly busy busy schedules from the huge numbers of great responsibilities they they juggle on a daily basis to write books to talk to people to to share dialogue online and to just sit down quietly and and talk about people's concerns in a very normal natural caring way i think that is the the best kind of advocacy at the end of the day because it's a personal connection um it sets aside issues about which tribe we're from and Mm -hmm. it allows people to just say well let's, let's just let's just talk about this um calmly like normal rational people and let's examine the evidence together and let's see how I can help you it's not adversarial I think that's the the critical point
1: right um my husband he he said something to me this year I was worried, um, I'm a big stickler for sticking to food rules and um, throwing things out when they're past expiration dates. And um, I always Google uh, the FDA's guidelines for how long you can, you can keep meat in the fridge and things like that. And he's kind of the opposite. He's like, I'll, I'll smell it and see if it's fine. And, and so this is a big uh, point of contention with us that he said, Heather, you follow the FDA's guidelines, but you don't vaccinate. And then I realized it was just something that hit me all at once. I said, I use Tylenol for Charlotte when she has a fever. I take medicine for my thyroid. I take medicine for my endometriosis. I go to the ER when we need it. Like I use everything about Western medicine and the CDC guidelines. We believe in masks. We believe in social distancing. I believe what the FDA puts out, why don't I believe in vaccines? And it was just, it just hit me all at once. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: Did you have anyone from the Provax community approach you either publicly or, or privately to help discuss these concerns or coach you through some of, of uh, your your questions and, and provide you with information that you needed to change your mind and understand vaccines better?
1: Yes, I have had uh, one, two, three four people that have invested so many hours into speaking with me and they have become really good friends of mine. I mean, like so, so much time. Um, and they were huge catalysts because they never got mad. I mean, they would, they got mad about the measles costume. That was understandable. I'm mad about that. I was so stupid, but, (laughs) um, they were huge catalysts and me changing
0: And what was it about their approach that reached you? Um, How did it compare to your anti-vax friends? Because, of course, you would have been receiving plenty of information from both sides. So what was it that made the difference with the pro-vax people who approached you?
1: They believed me that my endometriosis was not my fault, and they encouraged surgery, that was a huge one. They also told me that they too get nervous on the day that their children get shots, that this was a natural feeling because, you know, there is that small, small chance. So every parent wonders if they're going to have the lottery ticket. Um, But that those two things are what really helped them believing me and them empathizing with my fear
0: That's really great because it shows the desire to connect with you as, as a person, as a mother um, and, and just to listen to you. And I think listening is a, a very important, well, is, is the most important and sadly often overlooked aspect of dialogue on vaccines. Yes. Both sides obviously need to, to listen to each other in order to have a discussion in the first place. But listening to concerns, however unfounded or, or however bizarre they might sound to, to one side or the other, just listening and being there and saying, okay, lay it all out on the table and, and let's talk about it and I will hear you and I won't respond with, with judgment and I won't respond with antagonism and I won't respond with ridicule. I think that is a, a really, really important step in the process. Now, some of the more bizarre anti-vax claims and some of the more outlandish ones, and certainly the ones I consider potentially potentially dangerous, I have no problem mocking and ridiculing, ridiculing them on, on on my page, particularly some of the, the stupider memes. But that's very different to actually speaking to someone personally and directly. And in that particular situation where someone has opened their mind to the possibility that vaccines might actually be a good idea, but has concerns and just needs to be heard, then that's what we need to do. We need to hear people, listen to people, just just wait a bit, see where they're coming from, and don't expect them to have this level of knowledge, up up here before they come to you or or don't approach them with a certain amount of expectations that they have to meet before you're willing to go the extra step meet people where they are meet them at the point where they are in in their journey and just take it from there you know what how far have you got what's your position on this at the moment what are your concerns why why are those your concerns i'm going to stop talking now for a moment you just you just talk to me and i'll listen. And then we can have a discussion about that afterwards that I think does more for people than simply beating them over the head with, with memes or, or infographics or, or studies, because that's the, that's the personal connection that makes all the different.
1: Yeah, no, that, that was what did it. People. Um, I used to do polls about vaccines and I would get, upwards of 50,000 comments and they were so hateful they would describe to me how they wanted me to kill myself and in and, and what way um, and those comments, believe it or not, did not make me provax Um <laughs> I know that laughing emojis you know and, and these mean responses are hard to not believe when you're frustrated but that is not that's not gonna make a difference. It's just gonna make. The anti-vaxxer feel like what they are fighting for is worth the fight because they've met an enemy.
0: Yeah, that's it. And of course, there is a a very great difference between having a civil debate or discussion on an issue and simply attacking each other as as enemies. I enjoy debating about vaccines and and arguing with people with vaccines but it should never be personal it should never be um, a personal attack or, or seen as some form of combat the idea should always be to showcase the truth to disprove what is wrong and to win someone to the other side of the argument on the basis of the facts and the evidence or at the very least plan to see that will help them to actually come back to that question or that issue revisit it and then think hey something's growing here uh and it's a confidence in in what the person has said it's a confidence in the science in the medicine i'm going to nurture this and see where it goes and maybe i'll read some more about such and such or maybe i'll pick up that book by dr ruffett after all just planting a seed that might bear fruit later i think that can be a a big difference and you're not going to do that just by attacking or insulting people So that's why in, in, a, in a discussion or a debate people sometimes yeah you've got to walk away at some point you've got to just, just walk away and a lot of people on on both sides of the argument will say oh you stop responding to me that means i win No, no it doesn't it means i've chosen not to invest any further time and energy in this discussion or this argument or this debate and i've made a perfectly sensible and mature decision not to waste any more time on it and if you want to take that as a win fine it doesn't make any difference to me my my issue is that i have presented the facts as i understand them and that's my position and if we can't proceed any further if there's if there's no way for this dialogue to continue constructively then i'm not going to spend any more time on it and off i go to something else and and that's that's got to be something we can always we should always be prepared to do to to walk away. That can be very difficult because pride comes in, and we don't want to be seen as the loser in an argument. We don't want to give the other person the satisfaction of thinking that they've won or, or or that they've dissuaded us or they've left us with doubts. So we go, running. Oh, I'll keep running, keep hitting F5. See what they've said. Oh, now I'm going to respond to that. No, you don't. You don't. You don't need to under no obligation to to respond any more than you want to you can just <laughs> walk away. say, okay, we're done here. I've said what I need to say. We're not making any progress. It's a waste of my time. Certainly I think I've wa- wasted yours. I'm going to yeah. leave it at that. And if they want to bombard the thread with, you know, five or six comments, Oh, look at that. You walked away, you ran away, blah, blah, blah. So what? They're just some person on the internet. They, yeah. they just have no impact on, on your life. You know, there's millions of people, billions of people on the internet. They just won, and it doesn't make any difference overall. And yep. I think having the the strength and the courage to do that makes a big difference because otherwise you get sucked down the rabbit hole of constantly replying. It's exhausting emotionally and mentally. We can't all sit up at at three thirty a.m. constantly refreshing a page and and waiting to to argue <laughs> back with the other person with everything getting increasingly personal and further and further off the re- the actual topic it's not healthy and it's not constructive so walking away from some of these discussions is ultimately the the best thing to do but it takes a bit of time and experience and, and a bit of discipline to get to that to that point
1: so i'm i'm hoping that people will have dialogue and learn something but i'm getting this backlash from both sides saying why are you doing this? This is just for attention. This is, this is a character flaw. This is blah, 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 blah. But um, that actually is more personally insulting to me than the, than the abusive comments, because that is attacking my character. It's a weird place to be in and, and how I describe it to my friends that have reached out saying, why are you doing this? Like, why are you, are you trying to get attention? What I say, I've never met an author that writes a book that they don't want anyone to read. I've never met a person that writes a Facebook post that they don't want anyone to see. I've never met a director that makes a movie that they don't want anyone to watch. Um, in expressing yourself, you want community and you want that dialogue because this is important dialogue. This, I did something stupid. I dressed as the measles, I need to make it up. <laughs> and what better way to do this, do that than express why I'm changing and start that dialogue but yeah the comments don't bother me any, anymore
0: no I, I I can definitely hear your rationale then I, I understand where you're coming from it can be difficult when you've put yourself out there and you're now sort of like this sort of quasi public figure and uh, people are now treating you as if you're a, a fully public figure, and they can say what they like about you and your 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 page is open slather, and then people go. Well, if you don't like it, when well, why are you leaving your page open? And is it just for the attention, or is it just for the clicks? I can see why both sides of of the argument would would resort to arguments and and accusations like that. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, all we can say is, well, look, I block the most intolerable people. I'm trying to facilitate dialogue. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. Uh, and Facebook's not an ideal medium for it anyway, but I'm just trying to do the best I can to, to maintain that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it's not about me. It's about the issue and the issue is an important one. And I feel strongly about it. So I'm prepared to take a few lumps along the way.
1: I uh, was telling my mom, I have more peace this week in in my decisions than I've had the past two years as an anti-vaxxer. And I think I think the reason that is is because, I probably was pro-vax somewhere deep inside of me, underneath the fear, and it just was not identifying with me being an anti-vaxer. That was the fearful side of me, but this is the confident side of me that believes in science and and trusts doctors. And so I have this. I just have so much peace this week, um, and so especially now that I have so much confidence and peace in my decisions the comments really don't matter because once you are at peace with your decisions, um, no one can harm you. So yeah, that's been a, that, and, and that guilt that I had from the measles costume and just you talking about your twin brother, I've lived with that guilt for a year. Um, you know, it was supposed to be a silly costume, but it, it hurts so many people. Oh my gosh. And, and parents who's, kids have died from measles and I think just being able to, I'll never be able to make up for it, but to feel like at least I'm, I'm going in that direction has given me a lot of peace.
0: So what's your situation with your daughter now regarding vaccinations? Are you talking about a catch-up schedule with with your doctor? Uh, what's been recommended to you? People would, would be interested to know what the process is.
1: Yes, so um, we, she does have underlying conditions that uh, she does see specialists for, so we are going to be careful, but we are going to um, go with our pediatrician's recommendations um, and just trust her her doctor. Her doctor is wonderful and very trustworthy and um, her specialists are amazing. So um, as long as they approve everything, then we're just going to trust them and go forward.
0: A lot of anti-vaxxers like to say, well, I have, or my child has, or this other person in my family has an underlying condition. I'm concerned that this vaccine will interact in that with that condition in a negative way that will lead to all sorts of problems. Okay, firstly, there are very few, very, very few, very, very, very <laughs> few underlying conditions that actually have any relevance to the safety of, of vaccination very few and they are so f- so few as to be statistically negligible and they are all well documented and all vaccine recommendations are made with those issues in mind so mm-hmm. no one's going to no doctor is going to say to you oh don't worry we'll just give all the vaccines to your kid regardless of any and the if there are any relevant underlying your conditions your pediatrician will know and recommendations will be made accordingly. Yes. Secondly, if people are worried about the interaction of a vaccine with an underlying condition, what on earth do they think is gonna happen when that underlying condition encounters a significant disease? I mean, it doesn't sound great.
1: This is, I know this is not the conversation that we are having, but I'm very pro-mask And a lot of people say, well, I can't wear a mask because I have a medical condition. Um, Wouldn't it make it so much worse if you got COVID? I don't, I'm just saying, you know? Um, But yeah, I plan to get my flu shot. I planned to get my flu shot this week, but I have a small case of walking pneumonia, so I'm on antibiotics, um, so I have to wait. But I do plan to get my COVID vaccine to protect my um, daughter And, you know, it's not approved for her age yet, Um, but when it's available. And I, I do believe that the COVID vaccine is going to slow, hopefully put an end to the pandemic. I think it's so important to combat false information about it because it's, I mean, it's such a big deal. People are dying and this is why false information right now is so dangerous.
0: Let's let's move on from that to uh, a nice, more positive <laughs> conclusion. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, just to leave us with, say, a, a few thoughts. What would you particularly like to say to anti-vaxxers in in the context of of your experience, and what would you particularly like to say to pro-vaxxers? Uh, maybe some advice on dealing with anti-vaxxers and listening to their concerns and addressing their arguments. What would you like to say to both sides that you think they most need to hear?
1: Oh, man, I think for anti-vaxxers, the Dunning-Kruger effect, I believe, is what it's called. Um, Get to know it. (laughs) Um, You don't, and I mean this so, so lovingly, but you don't know as much as you think that you know. (laughs) <laughs> um, you don't know as much as someone that's been a scientist for 30 years. Um, and the whole world is not out to get you. Um, they just aren't. It's not this big underground scheme of scientists working together to kill your children. It's, it's the world is not so dark as that. Um, but yeah, just just humble yourself and realize that you don't actually know uh what these ingredients do and um the memes on the internet a lot of them are unsubstantiated um so just kind of start taking everything with a grain of salt as far as pro-vaxxers um stop widening the gap because you are making the army of anti-vaxxers stronger they see an enemy and they are getting riled up this is encouraging them and try to be their friend instead. I mean, that—that that is what actually changes people because these people are not not vaccinating based on evidence. They're not vaccinating based on emotions. Um, and so giving them evidence as opposed to loving friendship isn't going to get anywhere.
0: Those are really great thoughts. And I can definitely tell they come straight from the heart, which is... Which is not surprising, considering the, the experience you've you've been through. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself today, Heather. It's been a really fantastic discussion. I know it's been a deeply personal one for you two, and um, I know that you are feeling very vulnerable right now. And I I know that you've you've copped a lot of heat, but I can also see that you are resolute in your position and that your your change of views is in no way superficial but it's actually very deep and profound and when you have that level of conviction it is much easier to stand up for for what you believe and and I find that very admirable. Um, so, thank you again so much for for this interview. It's been really great to talk to you, and um, I hope perhaps we can have another interview, maybe a you know year or two down the track, see how you how you're going, and and see how your relationship with the two communities has developed. Thank
1: you so much for having me. This has been great.